In 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 5, kind of the, the message is why preaching, or the title, sorry, why preaching? If you, if you look at the banners, one to the left, me, we're a church, we want to be about fervent prayer, bold preaching, passionate worship, purposeful discipleship, courageous evangelism, and strategic church planning. Those are, the, those are the things we want to see, continue to see this church built upon. The, the original plan was that uh, Dave Meisner was going to preach on, on, on prayer on January 1st. <laughs> but God's plans are far and above our plans. He preached that a few weeks ago. And uh, I'm sure you guys are blessed by that. We want to be a people of prayer. But we also, as we want to hold to firm prayer, we want to hold to bold preaching. And I pray that this message today would answer like why preaching? And what does bold preaching mean? What does it mean when we say expository and applicational? And at the end of this, this message today, I pray you have a clear picture of what that looks like. What that looked like. That you would be you have to be encouraged, that you would be challenged. And then also when you see this clear picture of what like this is what we want to be about, you can hold me and any every other person accountable who preaches from the pulpit. Because this is what we're this is what we want to be about. So we're, we're looking at Paul's last letter, Second Timothy. If it, if you're a note taker, I'm going to be give you a couple of different scriptures, but mainly we're we'll be in that passage. So if you just want to write that down as I go along, most of us are familiar with the Apostle Paul. He persecuted the church. He was out to throw Christians in jail. He met the risen Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, right? And, and God drastically changed his life. And they started proclaiming the message of the gospel to Gentiles, to non-Jewish people. And he saw churches planted and people come to faith in Christ. He wrote 13 letters, a good portion of the New Testament. And in 2 Timothy, he's at the end of his life. He knows his time is up. He's sitting in jail. He's awaiting his demise. And he writes this letter to Timothy. And we're, we'd be wise to, to, to look at what did he say to Timothy? What were his last kind of dying words to Timothy in terms of the church, in terms of Christianity? What was his advice to him? You want to see how God has called us to build his church. If you want to stand with me as we read 2 Timothy Read verses 1 and then to verse 8 for the context. 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 8. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, 
which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. May God bless his word to our souls. You may have a seat. So looking at, at verses 1 to 2, I want you to see the charge. The charge to Timothy, the charge to us all. Come under the word of God. Notice even as he begins, I charge you. He doesn't say, hey, m- maybe do this. If you'd like to go in this direction, here's a couple options. You pick one. He says, no, I, I charge you. And I want us to see in verse 1 the, the witnesses that he's charging Timothy with. The witnesses listed here to Timothy was sobering because of who they were. In the Old Testament, two or three witnesses were meant to substantiate the truth of, of one statement. We see this even in the New Testament. In 1 Timothy 5.19, Paul wrote, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. You had to have two or three people saying, yeah, this is true. Well-known passage in the scripture of Matthew 18 on church discipline. A well-known passage, but a, a really misquoted passage. Matthew 18, 20, it says this, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And it's not talking about a gathering of Christians. Of course, wherever believers are, God's with them. It's talking about church discipline, where you have two or three witnesses speaking something against someone or charging something against someone. God's with them. And so notice who Paul calls as the witnesses to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. And he gives much greater detail about Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Think about Paul's two witnesses. Hey, Timothy, what I'm about to call you to account, these are the two witnesses against you, God the Father and God the Son. And and look at the greater detail he goes into about God the Son. He says, Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul wrote, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Hebrews 9.27, Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Like, think about this. Like, Timothy, you will be at that time of judgment. Think about how sobering that is for Timothy. Maybe Timothy had heard the the word from James. James uh, 3 verse 1, where James, Jesus' half-brother, wrote, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Surely, Timothy, a a, a good... uh, boy familiar with the Old Testament, he would have known Proverbs 10.19 where many words are, sin is not absent. And maybe he's familiar with the writer of Hebrews who wrote in Hebrews 13.17 Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Timothy, there's a judgment to come and you're going to be standing there. And not only will Timothy be there, but everyone is going to be there. Do you ever think about the judgment to come? 
as Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. And Timothy continues to go on and, and by his appearing in his kingdom. And by his appearing, he's talking about his second coming. Spoken of in most of the New Testament books over and over again. God's like, I don't want you to forget, like, Jesus Christ is going to return. Jesus' last words in Revelation 22:20 20 is this, Surely I'm coming soon. Think about so many New Testament books, this reminder, he's coming. His last words, I'm coming soon. Timothy, there's a judgment to come, judging the living and the dead, and, he, and he's coming again. And his kingdom, his future kingdom. Paul writes a little while later in 2 Timothy 4.18, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. There's this future kingdom. In 1 Corinthians 15, 22-25, Paul writes this, Sorry, 1 Corinthians 15, 22 to 25. As in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, again his second coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every ruler and every authority and power. For he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. Yet we, we've talked about this before. We entered God's kingdom by believing in Jesus Christ. That's how every one of us, we're like, I'm putting my faith and trust in Him so we enter into God's kingdom. But yet we still live in this broken, sinful world and Jesus Christ's kingdom, His whole rule and reign has not fully yet come. And so we're, we're waiting for the time that He would return and He would set all things right. So we're in this, this weird in-between stage that the way we advance God's kingdom here on this earth is by sharing Jesus Christ, sharing the gospel with people. And as they believe and put their faith in Him and they're born again, they too enter into God's kingdom. But yet not fully. We're still looking towards His return and then His, His kingdom coming in its fullness. So do you think the charge that was put in front of Timothy... God the Father in Christ Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom and his appearing. Do you think Timothy would say no to what is put in front of him, what comes next? Paul is talking about things that will happen in the future to give motivation for the present. Friends, do you often think on eternal things? Does it motivate how you live your life now? Does it change? How we spend our time, our money, what we value, what we prioritize. But we're reminded we aren't building our own earthly kingdom, but we're part of Jesus Christ's eternal kingdom. And we want to advance. We want to make his name known. We want it to be something that will last. For everything else is so transient. It's fading away. And it's, it's going to be here for one moment and gone in the next. Do you think about eternity to come? Again, I, I mentioned before, do you think about the judgment to come? Of course, friends, all of us, our only hope before, before God on that day is that we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. And we, we say it's only because of His blood, it's only because of His righteousness, His perfect life, that we can stand on that day. 
But friends, there will be that day coming and that should motivate us that not only we're going to be there, but every single person will be there. And if you have someone in your life who does not know Jesus Christ, then that should be a greater motivation to make His name known. There's a judgment to come that we're quickly moving towards. If we're truly like, yes, I love my neighbor, then that should motivate us to make the name of Jesus Christ known to them, knowing there's this judgment to come. So it should motivate our evangelism. Friends, how do you keep one eye on eternity and yet one on the present? Because we live in this, this physical world. And I believe it's by sitting under the Word of God. So there's the witnesses for Timothy. God the Father and God the Son. I want you to see in verse 2, the charge to obey. And what's the charge to obey in verse 2? I, I just want us to note in our day of pragmatism, like if whatever works, just do it. And in our day and age, of like there's like church growth ideas of just, you know, here's the latest trends. Let's follow them. It seems like it worked for that big church over there. Let's, let's go in this direction. We, we want to be wise. What did Paul call Timothy to at the end of his life? What was his advice? As a, as a very young church, there can be many ideas of where our focus should be. We want to look to the Word of God. And what does Paul say to Timothy? He says, preach the Word. Just a, a, a question. What is preaching? So preaching is, is heralding. is proclaiming. It's, it's, I don't know if you've ever seen cartoons in the past or, or something from like the 15th, 16th century when the king has a message and he sends his messengers... And they blow their trumpets. They're like, hear ye, hear ye. That was a good trumpet sound. But so they're calling, and what they have to say is this is what the king says. That's preaching, heralding a message, proclaiming a word, saying this isn't my opinion. This isn't what I, I think about it. No, this is the very Word of God. And just as I want you to come under it, I'm coming under it too. That's preaching. Heralding a message from the King. Not my story. Not want to give self-motivation or my opinion. But like, what does the Word of God say? That's preaching. So what do you want to preach? We want to preach the Word. And Paul mentions just before in verse in chapter 3 and verse 15 to 17, he mentions to Timothy how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings of the scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture is breathed out by God, that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. So preach the word, the word of God. Do we trust in the sufficiency of Scripture? Why exposition? We talk about we want to be bold preaching. It's expository and application. You just you can stand, Timothy. I'm just gonna turn quickly to the book of Nehemiah. Just reference it, unless you turn there with me. 
quickly. In, in Nehemiah chapter 8, what's happening is Ezra, the scribe, is coming. All the, these people are turning back from Babylon, and they're, they're gathering together, and they're opening up the Word of God. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 5, it says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. One of the reasons... They reverence God's word. We have that example in scripture. So we do that as we read God's word at the start of a message. And they all stood. And, and there's this group of people with Ezra. And they helped explain the word of God. As it says in verse 8, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. And they gave the sense so that people understood the meaning. I don't know if you have a footnote there in verse 8. Next to clearly where it says, uh, with interpretation. Or paragraph by paragraph. This is why we, we do expository preaching. We want to exposit, take out of the text the message that is there and proclaim that. Because God has given us the Bible book by book, chapter by chapter. He's given us the, the Word of God in language. And so when we're understanding what Scripture has to say, we want to, we want to take it literally as we can. We want to take it in the genre it's given to us. We want to take the grammar that's there. We want to take the history that's there. <coughs> Excuse me. And we want to take out the meaning of the word and proclaim that. So that, that, that's, that's my job. That's anyone's job who wants to proclaim the word is, what does the scripture say? Take out the meaning and proclaim that. That's preaching. It's taking the word of God and proclaiming the word of God. So broadly, we want to preach all, all the word, Genesis through Revelation. We want to be faithful to what's said in the text. And then narrowly, we want to preach Christ crucified specifically. Wherever we are, we want to point everyone to Jesus Christ. Either your, your saving faith is where we have hope, or if you already have hope in Him, continue to put your faith and trust in Him. We want to proclaim Christ. I don't, don't want to be original. We just want to proclaim the risen Savior. That is what we hope in. And when are we to do that? To preach the word, going back there to 2 Timothy. Be ready in season and out of season. It's, it's not so much like the, the two seasons of Alberta. <laughs> like when, or like not winter and... This, this deep freeze that we're currently in. It's actually not talking about that. What it really means is more like preaching a favorable time and an unfavorable time. I keep preaching Christ is the only way to be saved when all society says, no, there's, there's many ways. And we're saying, no, there's only one way and it's Jesus Christ. Keep preaching Christ when our society says, like, gender doesn't exist. And you're like, no, God made them male and female and that's good. And he knows what's best for us. And so what it means to preach in season and out of season is when our society smiles at what we're doing or wants to take our head because we're on the wrong side of history, we want to proclaim the Word of God and be faithful to it. In season and out of season. With God's Word as the rule and authority for us. So he's saying, Timothy, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. And you're preaching. You have these three characteristics. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. With complete patience and teaching. 
Reprove has the idea to expose, to refute. Other translations, to correct. Almost like a flashlight shining on something. Like, do you see, do you, do you see that that is off? Everyone knows, yeah, okay, like, that's not good. That's reproving. Rebuking, though, is, is, is like rebuking the person. Not only do you see that that's off, but the flashlight is now turned toward ourselves, to our own hearts, and do you see that you have that in your own life? Can rebuke by the word of God. Yet yeah, that's wrong, and it's in your life. Reprove and rebuke. And the last one, exhort. To call near, to comfort. Some translations to encourage. So even as you're exposing sin, and then saying, do you see that in your own life? Then you're also exhorting, you're encouraging, coming alongside of people. MacArthur says this, after having reproved and rebuked disobedient believers under his care, the faithful preacher is then to come alongside them in love and encourage them to spiritual change. Timothy's preaching needed to be aimed at the heart, letting the word convict and rebuke. We also needed to exhort and encourage spiritual change. But how? With complete patience and teaching. It happens over time. It takes time. It's a blessing to sit underneath the preaching of the word of God week after week. It's like letting a flower grow. Imagine planting a flower and then yelling at it. Grow faster! Come on! Like you're doing nothing. You can maybe weed, you can water it, you know, offer it. It's sunlight, but that's what it is. Preaching. It, it takes time. Time needs to take its course. Complete patience. Not only patience, we all need patience with ourselves as God does His work in our life. Patience with those beside us, those around us. We all wish we could just like speed up the process. But let the Word of God do the work of God by the Spirit of God in our hearts and lives. So we need complete patience. Be patient let God's Word do God's work. So friends, this is, this is why I love this church. That's what we want to hold to is bold preaching, it's expository and applicational, and that's why we want to be a part of other churches that are planted that do the same thing and proclaim the Word of God. That's why I love our, our sixth thing, we're about strategic church planting. There's a church being planted, started in Edmonton. If you know in Edmonton, I'd love to talk to you and connect you with that church. They want to proclaim the Word of God as clearly as they can. So we want to continue to be a church built on on uh, biblical expository preaching. So there you see the charge. There's a, a greater sense of time used for the charge. I'll spend less time on the others, but look at verses 3 to 4 with me. The caution. The caution, don't turn from the Word of God. The charge, preach the Word of God. The caution, don't turn from the Word of God. Paul says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. The time is coming. In other passages, he, he warned the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 29 to, to 30. Paul met, met with the leaders of the church at Ephesus, and he says this to them in Acts 20, 29 to 30. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. 
from among your own church. He's like, there are going to be people raised up and they're speaking false things. They're going to pull people after them. So he say, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. That term sound teaching appears often in First and Second Timothy, that phrase. Second Timothy 1.13, he says, follow the pattern of sound words. There could be healthy words or healthy teaching or healthy doctrine. When, uh, in a uh, study Bible I have, it says this, correct teaching and keeping with that of the apostles. The teaching is called sound, not only because it builds up the faith, but because it protects against the corrupting corrupting influence of false teachers. So again, the, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So Paul was already warning that to the church at Ephesus. He's like, like people are going to come in among you and they're going to teach something false. Friends, do you think, is this time now? Just think about just a brief look at church history. We looked at it, as we looked at the book of Colossians, there was Gnosticism, there's a secret knowledge. They're like, yeah, no, it's not just Jesus Christ. We'll tell you the deeper meanings, and people would run after them, like, what is it? Then in, in the history of the Catholic Church, like, no, it's not enough to just believe in Jesus Christ, and they're going to be baptized in the church, you're going to pray to Mary, you've got to confess your sins to priests. People are like, oh, so I can, I can kind of do what I want and then just confess to this priest? Like we're always going after whatever we want to hear. Even just think, just nowadays with the whole health and wealth gospel. God, God wants me to always be healthy. God wants me to always have lots of money. It appeals to our to our ears. It appeals to our to the kind of the carnal nature within us. Or, or even what we're we're facing in today's age is kind of a critical race theory. That, that uh, we need to run after social justice, but social justice defined by like Marxist uh, wanting to destroy our society type theology. And churches are starting to embrace that. Like, okay, no, we need, we're all about justice. We want to run after this. We want to we repent of what we've done in our society. But again, it's like, it's going to our itching ears. It's kind of like vogue in our society to run after that. And so people are running in the church towards that. Again, is, is that time now? I think, I think we're, we're right there. Matthew 24, verses 10 to 13. Jesus said this about the end of days. And many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. Catch it? And many false prophets will rise and lead many astray because lawlessness will be increased the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Are we in that time? If we're not in that time, we're quickly running towards that time. A time will be many false prophets drawing many people to themselves. Friends, this is why we can't be the judge, but Scripture must be over us. An old St. George Whitfield said this, if we once get above our Bibles and cease making the written word of God our sole rule, both as to faith and practice, we shall, shoot, we shall soon lie open to all manner of delusion. Just think about if you were in a boat in the middle of a lake, and you're just like, I'm just going to sit here, maybe you're fishing. And after even a half an hour, you look, 
and you've, you've drifted. So what do you have to do? You have to put an anchor down so you don't drift. But friends, our natural tendency spiritually is to drift. That's why we need the word of God to say, well, what is true? What is right? What is the right direction in which to go to? It's an anchor. How do we keep from drifting? The goal for ourselves is to be like the Bereans. They found in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, Paul said the Bereans were of no more noble character than the Thessalonians. Because the Bereans, this is a, like a, a town, a group, that every time Paul preached to them, they would, they would go and they'd search the scriptures daily to see if what Paul said was true. That's what we need to be developing and growing into. Bereans who are opening up the word of God. That's why we, I want you to come to church with a Bible and open it up and, and keep me accountable. Do you see what I see? Are you finding that in scripture too? We need to grow and be Bereans. So I encourage you too, if you, if you don't make it, have a habit of coming with the Bible, the church, I'd encourage you to do that. One, just so we can open it up together, but two, also there's brothers and sisters around the world who do not have that freedom to come with the Bible. And I think because we can, we should exercise that freedom. Friends, so with an open Bible, we're going to develop an appetite for sound doctrine habitually tuning our hearts to what is true as we gather on Saturday evenings open up the word of God and, and then throughout the week as we open up scripture tuning our hearts so we don't run after what our itching ears want to hear but we actually want to be have our hearts transformed and know what is true and what is good and again just to encourage you to find a pace to open up the word of God Whatever that is. Whatever it's just like, I'm just going to start to read in the Gospels. Maybe you start to read a psalm a day. Maybe a chapter in the new, a chapter in the old. Whatever that is. We have the very Word of God. Friends, we, we need to be in it. We need to be reading it. We need to be meditating upon it. So when the day comes, when the false teachers come and, and they're, they're saying different things, and you're like, that's off. We need to know what is true. We need to take this, this call that Paul gives to Timothy. The time is coming. The friends, the time is here. When people are going after whatever their ears want to hear, they're going after different myths. They're running away from the truth. We need to be people of truth, people of the word. And I want you to see in verse 5, so we saw the charge. We saw the caution. And now we see the call. So this is, is it a real sermon because it has alliteration. Just, just joking there. But uh, <laughs> amen to that. And so we see the call for us all to live under the word of God. Look at that. As for you. No, notice the contrast. The time is coming where people, they're not going to love sound doctrine. But as for you, you need to live differently. You need to be about the truth. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And Timothy... He obeyed this. He lived this. He, did, he preached the word. He raised up elders. He passed on sound doctrine to faithful men. He finished well. It says about Timothy in Fox's Book of Martyrs. It says, Timothy was an overseer in Ephesus until AD 97. In that year, the Ephesian pagans were celebrating a feast called 
Cantagogian. When Timothy watched their pagan procession, he blocked their way and severely rebuked them for their idolatry. His holy boldness angered the pagans and they attacked him with clubs and beat him so badly he died of his injuries two days later. He was faithful to them. He was faithful to what he was called to there in verse 5. Look again at verse 5. Isn't this for all of us? And I want you to note in verse 5, those are all imperatives, they're all commands. As for you, always be sober-minded, be clear-headed, be self-controlled. One commentator says this, the chief sense here is the figure of one of mental and spiritual alertness that comes from the practice of self-control. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Be spiritually alert. Know what is true. Know what is sound doctrine. Keep your head in the game. Eternity is on the line. Judgment is coming. Think of that charge to Timothy, a judgment to come, a view of his appearing kingdom. Friends, how do we keep an eye on eternity? We need to, one, that we need to guard what we put in front of our eyes. Guard against entertainment and comfort. And what I mean, do you know what I mean by that? I mean, it can lull us to sleep. Like we're over-entertained. We have so much comfort. And we, you, you, you cannot be sober-minded if you're binge-watching Netflix. In fact, you can't, you can't binge-watch Netflix to the glory of God. So we need to, we need to watch ourselves Against entertainment and comfort, I'm speaking to myself. We need to watch ourselves with the media we consume. Friends, don't be distracted or taken captive by news or by politics. God is on the throne and he's working out all things for his plans and his purposes. And we need to trust in that. We need to stop being fixated on so many other things that is hopeless. That takes our eyes off the risen Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be sober-minded. We need to endure suffering. Think of how Paul endured suffering. He says just earlier on in the letter, 2 Timothy 3.10, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, with persecutions I endured, yet from all of them the Lord rescued me. He's referring to, if you want to see in Acts chapter 14, as he's proclaiming the word, they wanted to sacrifice to him. They're like, oh, here's Hermes and Zeus. They're like, no, no, you can't sacrifice to us. We're just people like you are. We're just proclaiming this message. And so the people who in one moment were ready to sacrifice to them, and then the next one picked up rocks and stoned them and thought they stoned them to death. Paul, for the, the message of the gospel. And then what does he say in 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Friends, that's a promise. This is a promise of the Word of God. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This is our road to walk. We're following godly brothers and sisters who have walked it before, who are walking it now. Jesus said this in John 16, 33. He said, I said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. 
Again, just think about the contrast between our culture and following Jesus Christ. Just even as, we, as we're going to go into the book of Genesis, just in the beginning, God created. And our society is like, no, that, that didn't happen. There's this big bang. And all these things came together. And so you can see the collision course. Or even as we, as we talk about like male and female, he created them. And you see the collision course with our society who says, no, it's a spectrum and you can just choose. Or even as we, if we go on in Genesis and we say, oh, God created marriage between a man and a woman. And we don't get to decide what that is. You can see the collision course. Or even if, as you're going through scripture in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it said there's no other name under heaven which men and women must be saved by. It's only Jesus Christ. And our society is like, no, there's, there's many paths. That's, that's, that's so narrow-minded. And you see the collision course that's already happening in our society. I just think we, need, we don't realize how far ahead we are. In the summertime, they burned 50 Catholic churches. And there's crickets within our society. God strengthen us that we be able to suffer well. And make his name known. Suffer well, be faithful to God. This is why we need the church. We built up by the word of God to encourage one another in our faith to keep going. To endure suffering, to persevere. One day we'll be like Paul, we'll receive the crown of righteousness. One old saint, Samuel Rutherford, said this, Our little time of suffering is not worthy of our first night's welcome home to heaven. Just keep that in perspective. Do the work of an evangelist. This is not a call for everyone to be like a modern day Billy Graham evangelist. But I think it's a call for everyone to proclaim the gospel. Thinking like Ephesians 6 language. You guys know where you have the breastplate of righteousness and a shield of faith and a helmet of salvation and the sword of truth and, or the belt of truth, sorry, sword of the spirit. But in your feet are fitted with the readiness of the gospel. What that means is like you're ready. You're ready to share. You're ready to make his name known. I don't, many of us are like, I don't have the gift of evangelism. That's not what it's talking about. It's do you, can you proclaim the name of Jesus? Can you, can you start it through sharing the gospel with someone? He died for our sins. He rose again. Whoever puts their faith and trust in him can be saved, can be made new. Friends, we have the hope this world desperately needs. We have an answer to the brokenness that's seen everywhere. It's Jesus Christ. I just want to ask you, who is in your life that needs to hear about Jesus? Who do you need to open up your lips and tell someone about Jesus Christ. Do the work of evangelists. This is everyone's calling. And lastly, fulfill your ministry. And it's all encompassing of all the things that he has just said. But will we live our lives to what God has called us to? Or will we go after other things? Again, that fulfilling your ministry. Just where does God have you? Where do you live? Who are your neighbors? Who are your friends? Who do you work with? Just Because that's it. We're called to be a witness wherever God has us planted. Whoever 
whoever the people are that God has in our lives. Sometimes it's to a total stranger. But ultimately, it's, it's to the people that we know that are around us. We need to fulfill our ministry to them. It's what season of life are you in? Do you have young kids at home? Do you have a ministry there? Husbands and wives. Whether it's friends, co-workers. Where does God have you throughout the week? Fulfill your ministry. God's word helps us walk this out daily as the Holy Spirit applies the word to our hearts. And we can see in the context we each live, the different places in which we live our lives, Monday through Friday, through Saturday, through Sunday. God, what is my ministry? What do you have for me? How do you know your ministry? I think, again, by reading the word of God, by seeking to obey his spirit. And I think it's in the context of a local church. I think if sometimes we're like, oh God, what do you have for me? Other people can see it clearly. We need other people in our lives to be able to speak into our lives. The word of God by the spirit of God in the context of a local church. So there we have the, the charge to obey. It's a blessing to sitting, sitting under expository preaching, hearing the word of God. And I pray by God's spirit working in us by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that his word would keep transforming each one of us. That Christ would be more greatly formed in us and then we would be, as we go out, we would make his name known all to the glory of God. If you just want to bow with me, I'd like to close this word in prayer. Oh God, I see your, your calling so clearly in scripture. I pray by your spirit that you'd help me, help us to preach your word. Help us to have no confidence in and of ourselves, but just look towards you, Lord. May you continue to build this church. May you build other churches that would faithfully proclaim your word. And I pray, God, you would give us an increasing hunger and a desire for the word of God. God, that we would just know so clearly what is true. And in doing so, Lord, you would keep us from what is false. Help us, by your grace, Lord, to be sober-minded, to endure suffering, to do the work of evangelists, Lord. Help us, by your Spirit, to fulfill the ministry you've called us to. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.